Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope that it will be enjoyable and edifying for all, as well as equipping for pastors or teachers who are working on sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Amanda Drury. Amanda is a uh, sought-after preacher and speaker uh, to youth and to youth leaders and a real master of innovation and engages in all kinds of amazing projects with local pastors around the country. And she is professor of practical theology and youth ministry at the School of Theology of Ministry here at Indiana Wesleyan University. She's a regular uh, guest on the show, although it's been a bit since she's been on. So I'm happy to have her back this week. And she is, of course, my wife. And so one of my favorite people to talk about the Bible with and prepare preaching ideas uh, with her. Our text this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Make sure to subscribe if you're not already so you never miss an episode. And as you're listening, if you're enjoying the show, hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice to pass this show on to others so they may benefit as well. And lastly, if you'd like to support the show as well as receive some additional content, simply go to patreon.com slash fresh text to become one of our patron saints. Thank you for listening and enjoy this conversation with Amanda. Second Corinthians 6, 1 through 13. Would you be willing to read the passage? Sure. Working together with him then. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech in the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that now is the favorable time 
that you have heard us, that you listen to us. And so now we are called upon to listen to you, to listen to the word that your apostle Paul was called to bear. And we ask that you would grant us the grace to to bear this word, to hear it, to begin to understand it, and to carry it for ourselves and for others. I ask this for Mandy and I as we dig into the text today, but also for all those who are listening in, that they would be equipped by way of this conversation, equipped to live the Christian life and to bear the Christian ministry that is granted to them, whether that be a small circle of influence of friends and family for whom they are a shepherd of sort, as well as those who may have been entrusted with a large flock in their care. Uh, But whatever the kind and size and shape of their ministry, Lord, we ask that the conversation this hour would be seasoned with the salt of your spirit for the sake of their transformation and service. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So good to have you back on the show. It's been too long. That's just been a scheduling error on my part, mostly. But ah, Thanks, John. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think the last time you were on might have been the 100th episode when we did, which was also from First Corinthians. Which was from First Corinthians yeah, but, that's right. That's right. Well, that was um, a while ago. I mean, yeah. I see you every day, so it doesn't seem like that long. But when you put it that way, I'm reminded, yeah, that was that was a while ago. It's not personal. I just had other people that <laughs> were game to do it. So, but yeah, now we're back into ordinary time or post Pentecost time in the summer uh, texts. And after a few lessons from First Corinthians in the winter, we're in, we've now got a couple here in a row from Second Corinthians. So we're jumping here into chapter six. So what stands out to you? What's uh, what's interesting here? What what captures your attention? So. This passage is a good reminder to me on why I like to read things out loud. I read through it this morning and a few times this morning, but it, but it was in my head, you know, just reading it quietly. And then I heard myself reading it out loud now for the first time here with you today and was just struck by how wordy this is. I mean, he's, he's doing a lot here. I feel like this is the kind of academic paper that I would write down that I would mark down because, you know, they're trying to say too much or just tell me clearly what you're trying to do or you're mixing metaphors here. There's, there's so much here. And so I see a lot of passion and clearly he's trying to do something important. He's trying to convey something really, really important here. So that's the first thing that strikes me is just the strange format of this, the forcefulness behind it. Yeah, the style is, is peculiar and the forcefulness. I like that word that, that does, uh, ring true for me too as a I think all throughout first and second Corinthians you have this kind of there's an extra layer of energy of even a little anxiety might not be too might be too strong but there is there's there's an intensity yeah. in his rhetoric that's worth noting yeah and you're right you can hear it and it would have been read out loud this wasn't a private letter this was a letter to a community so someone mm-hmm. would have come and would have read it out loud and that list your eyes can glaze over when you're just looking 
at it, you know, but when you hear it, I mean, maybe your eyes can glaze over, but you can kind of feel the, the intensity of this list of things. Uh, what, yeah. what kind of list that is, is unclear to me. Like you said, I, I might mark it down if I was grading it. Good thing <laughs> I don't grade the Bible, but. <laughs> yeah, but there's, there's this defensiveness yet offensiveness, but this pleading behind it, it's just packed with emotion. And I mean, yeah. it, it makes sense there, especially when we get to, to verse 11, where he's saying, we've spoken freely to you. Our hearts are wide open. I mean, clearly they are. It's like, it's just this outpouring of everything that Paul wants to say here. Yeah. And I think that really is the punchline. And I think we'll have to come back to it again, I imagine, as we move forward. But he says his heart's, heart is open. And then there's this challenge at the end, right? That they too would then open their hearts in return. And what exactly that entails is something we can debate or discuss if we want. But I think you're right. I think the list character of the bulk of this passage is meant to sort of draw our attention to then this moment at the end. I think that's really, everything's building up towards verses 11, 12, and 13, don't you think? You know, like, I mean. Yeah, yeah. When you're preaching and you, if you, you know, you can get going and you kind of rattle off a bunch of stuff. And then you have that moment when you pause and say something very slowly and clearly, you know, that's at least how I feel it. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if there is any cause for, for a smile or laughter in here. Where, where was that? He says, uh, let's see here. <laughs> he talks about in verse seven, having weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left hand. I mean, it's, it's, it's over the top. It's not only am I carrying it a is. weapon here, I've got one in both hands. <laughs> it is over the top. Yeah, it was funny when I was when I was reading through my first time through, I noticed that he was listing negative things, first two verses. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And just because I again I was reading with the eye at first. And so then I I almost kind of glazed over and jumped down to kind of see where this is going, you know. So I'm like, oh, okay, he's gonna list all his all his sufferings, classic Paul, you know, or, you know, there's even that famous moment in Romans eight, you know, where he says, you know, nothing can separate us from neither this nor that, nor this, nor that. Right. And it's all bad stuff. And some of the same words too here, but then I saw it again when I went through again and I noticed that there's this weird shift in verse six. And then it turns into like, I don't know, like fruit of the spirit. Almost. We've seen some of these words listed. I mean, there are literally some of the some of the nine fruit of the spirit appear in this list, but also then as I spent more time with it, you know, so, so again, you know, patience, kindness, love, but then also some of the language that comes in the, the gift lists, you know, hmm. when he talks about different gifts, right? Oh, sure. So knowledge, truth of speech, power of God. And of course, then the like you mentioned, the weapons of righteousness for right hand and for the left, that makes me think of the armor of God in Ephesians, right? So you, you kind of get this mix of all these different things. <laughs> and then the then there's then there's the contrasts that bring it home at the end, right? The imposter yet true, unknown yet well known. Earlier in chap in, in Second Corinthians, you have the persecuted, not abandoned put down, but not destroyed. Right. That's, you get a similar thing here. So a lot, it's like, you almost get a little sort of like all of Paul's great. It's like a medley of (laughs) a Pauline medley where you get all the different sorts of things. And then this was kind of like the big question that was weighing on me was, so what's the point of all this? If there's not a common theme or thread. Mm -hmm. And so then I've been spending a lot of time and I still 
don't have total clarity on the opening line in three and four, the introduction to the list. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So this is, this is weird because he has said it earlier in this very book that, well, we don't commend ourselves. I, yes, I caught that too. It, that that okay. word comes up a few times. I think, is it three, four, and five? Because twice he says, in addition to this, he says he does commend himself. I think it's the chapter before he says he doesn't commend. It's, yeah, it's this weird kind of back and forth. Yeah. Oh, here, I've got it here. Yeah, chapter okay, three, so, verse one. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then four, two, he says, on the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. And then five, 12, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring that up because that really ties it in with what's at stake in the letter as a whole and in this passage at hand is clearly he needs to, he's being called on to commend himself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To, and, and I, I did a quick double check as you were reading through those and it is the same verb that's being used. What was the one in five? Five verse one? Uh, five twelve. Yep, same right. one again. And there's the, we're not trying to commend ourselves. Yeah, so he's going back and forth, back and forth. We are, but we aren't. And I guess that even maybe helps a little bit to make sense of this weird grab bag of commendations, because this is not a list of awards. This is not a list of accomplishments. It's a list of sufferings first, which is not a normal kind of commendation. And then a list of virtues, the fruit of these fruits of the spirit that are important, but maybe not impressive. And then some giftings, but not, not skills. They're from God. They're a word, a truthful word, the power of God. And then, I mean, in the, in these, in these paradoxes in the last couple verses, uh, I mean, that's like, you almost get there, the commending and not commending, right? Uh, as imposters yet true, unknown yet well-known dying yet we live having nothing yet possessing everything. There's kind of this, on the one hand, I, I mean, you almost catch the, the thing there that you pointed out is on the one hand, we have nothing to commend ourselves and yet we have everything. We have the best, you know, we have the best resume there could be, but it's not our resume is I, I feel like that's maybe some of the tension that's at play mm. in here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I do, I do think it's so interesting in verse five twelve. When he says, you know, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So th- to say that Paul sounds defensive, I, I, that's, that's too harsh because I don't think he's defensive. I, I hear this, this pleading, the please try to see us for, for who we are, for what we're doing. I like that because in some sense, he's claiming he has no self-defense. He has no justification. This is justification by faith, by what is not seen. But there's a desire on his part to speak clearly, to speak plainly, as you pointed out at the end, right? To open up his mouth and to open up his heart. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean, some of this is just, I mean, I don't want to get too much into the the cultural dynamics of rhetoric and ancient letter writing, but I mean, you can, you can catch a little bit of these kind of saying like, 
well, guys, why don't you defend me? Why are you writing to me asking me to tell you? That's at least a little what I read between the lines here. Yeah, yeah. Why you can boast for me. There's a reference to boasting in verse five. You know, he's so clear he's never going to boast for himself, but he's kind of like, hey, guys, like this is your job. You're supposed to say when these other preachers come and say, well, Paul planted this church, but we all know he's kind of lame. And now we've got now we've got real professional preachers now. You you know what you're you know what to say. You don't need me to come in and tell make a case, you know. <laughs> well, and this is this is where we also have him saying, "You are my letter of recommendation." So yes. it's almost a sense of, "Hey, if these people don't get me, then you're doing a bad job of representing who I am." Oh, I didn't even think of that extra layer of the "you are you are our letters." That's back in chapter three, right? Right. I didn't even make that connection till you said that. That's really good. That that that's a sort of little admonition, subtle admonition to say, you know, speak up. Right. Yeah, it's a way it's so a way I, of sh- sharing the blame and sharing the glory. Yeah. I definitely think he's goading them into defending him. Yeah. By refusing to defend himself properly, by by showing them his credentials, by walking them through his legitimacy. You know, because, I mean, he's got things to assert. He has this direct revelation from Christ, which he will eventually reference, but not until chapter 12. I mean, he hints at it, but he he spends some time with it in chapter 12. And even when he gets there, he's going to say, I know a man (laughs) who wants, right? He doesn't even say it's him, right? But he has things to appeal to and he has his own training as a Pharisee. That's part of it is he's, I mean, I got to admit, like if, when I put myself in Paul's shoes, I think like, you know, Apollo and these others come along in Corinth and they've been trained in Greek rhetoric. Huh. You know, they're smart. They're good. They're really good preachers. And they maybe know how to connect with a Greco-Roman audience a little better in Corinth. Oh, sure. And Paul yeah. maybe was known for, you know, the, the sort of the synagogue basis of the church there wasn't as strong as you have in some other places. Hmm. Um just based on what we have from Acts, at least, and just knowing how pagan of a town Corinth is, right? Right. And, but it's, it's the first place he stayed really long, according to the Acts narrative. And these letters confirm that, that this, he had a long standing ministry there. But it's kind of like, so this Apollo guy, he's so good at preaching. He's so smooth. He makes all, he quotes poetry and he's so clever, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm sure Paul had a moment of being like, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, you people. Like, <laughs> I, I am, I, I don't have like this fluffy, you know, Greco Roman rhetoric. I am a trained rabbi. I am a Pharisee of Pharisees trained in Palestine. I am yeah. like more legit than any, like, than this second rate, you know, Greek stuff where he's basically, you know, Sure, you know, but I mean, Apollo, like we know from Acts, you know, had he didn't even like, he was just sort of like entry level kind of baby Christian who just had this old training. Right, right. But Paul like bites his lip. He's like, I can't go there. That's that's not going to work. Both for his own soul, he knows that all of that counts as nothing, Philippians 3, right? Uh-huh. That's all junk. I can't appeal to that. That's not the basis of my authority. But also he just knows because he's a good pastor. He knows his people. That stuff doesn't count for anything. They've never heard of Gamaliel. Like they don't know. Yeah, yeah. They don't know what a Pharisee is. Like he doesn't, the things that he could appeal to in terms of his mm-hmm. life history and training 
actually don't have a lot of value to his audience there. And they don't have value to him anymore. Hmm. Although he might still be learning that, <laughs> uh, you know, cause you feel him biting his lip here, like wanting to like, sure. I'll show you my credentials, beatings, imprisonments, right? Yeah. Yeah. But also yeah. love and kindness, right? Th- these are the things that really count. I don't know. Does any of that resonate and click with your reading of the text or have I read too much into it, reading too much from Acts in and too much from the rest of the letters? Or does that fit with your take on the text? No, that that fits and that's that's helpful too. For Paul to be claiming these beatings, this persecution as as his resume, which I'm guessing the Corinthians weren't expecting him to say. You know, they they were probably wanting higher words of commendation of more of his acceptable resume. And and I, I just I wonder what the reaction was for people to hear Paul clinging to his pain as as his resume. Uh, you know, if there were the connections to, oh yes, this was this was the this is the way of Jesus, or was it an eye roll like, ah. oh, there he goes again? Or or was <laughs> it somewhat shaming? I mean, in a good kind of way, like remembering, oh yeah, that's that's what matters here. That's more Christian than the flowery titles or the this and that. Well, that's a really good question. I think that's a good place to transition to come back to after a break, this question of, okay, we've kind of tried to put ourselves in Paul's shoes. Now let's try to put ourselves in the the first hearer's shoes. Yeah, yeah. And that might help us sort of maybe see some things. So I think that's good. Let's come back to that after a break. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we are looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Uh, let me just read it again, because it's sometimes nice to have it in our ears again, both for us and for our listeners. Been doing that more often lately. So here's uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 13 in, I'm going to use the NRSV just to kind of throw a curveball in there. So as we work together with him... We urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I have listened to you. And on a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, see, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. Now we are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We have spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. 
There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak as to children, open wide your hearts also. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks (laughs) Thanks be to God. God. So hearing this, let's put ourselves in those original hearer's shoes. What questions bubble forth? What new insights, new angles might emerge? So I had my eyes closed as I was listening to you read that. And I found myself wanting to give Paul money. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's partly to appease my own, my own conscience to know that, okay, this guy is out there. He's suffering. Maybe I feel a little bit guilty for the way I have, or haven't been talking about him. And there's a sense in which I want to throw money at the problem and find ways of supporting him that perhaps don't feel quite so personal. And then ah. I get to that end of, of open wide your heart. Uh, which which hits me a bit a bit differently. It's funny. I'm not sure why that came to mind for me, but that that's where my mind went was was to wanting to find ways to support Paul without necessarily having to give of myself deeply of myself. Hmm. And I think some of that is the just feeling guilty and wanting to try to fix something right away. Well, I love that that came to mind, and I love especially that you said it and didn't hide it back. Because I mean, I mean, he's going to ask him for money in chapter eight. <laughs> but he's going to do it again without asking, right? He's going to just like shame them into doing it. Yeah, chapter eight yeah. and nine. So I, this is a great example of try to really be a listener, a hearer of a text. And I know you were quick to kind of judge yourself or judge for yourself. Like, okay, maybe that's not the whole of what he's asking for from me that a financial donation may be an, an act of evasion, And I think Mm -hmm. that's right to raise that question. On the flip side, just from a purely sort of like (laughs) hermeneutical insight, uh, an interpretive insight, it's like, whoa, like you're helping us maybe get into the space of what Paul's up to here. Is he actually collecting up from these wealthy pagans in Corinth to support the poor Christians back in Jerusalem is a big part of his ministry. He even references it when he says poor yet making many rich. I don't mm-hmm. think that's just a metaphor. He's saying, when I take up money, it's not for me. It's to lift uh, those in poverty back in Jerusalem up. And so, I don't know. I think it's really cool that you had that nudge because, and the question is, he doesn't specify yet. I mean, the text obviously goes on, but to talk about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. And right. so, it's not obvious that that is the sole next step for opening up the heart. It seems to me that one of the ways of opening the heart would be to not merely to throw money at him, but to care about the poor Christians elsewhere who are out of sight and out of mind. Sure. They're a high priority for Paul. I don't know how that strikes you, but it's kind of like, you're right. Don't just throw money at the problem. But at the same time, (laughs) is there something you can do to care about the things that he cares about? Right, right. Because clearly, like, they're more interested in an impressive public speaker yeah, than in supporting Christians who are poor and persecuted back where Paul's from, because that's what he wants them to care about. Do you actually care about them, or do you just care about yourselves, is kind of right. what I'm hearing him say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and looking at verse 13 there, I speak as to children. 
Is that is, is is Paul trying to be trying to insult them here? I mean, I think especially if I'm if I'm this Corinthian, I'm I pride myself on my sophistication on these fine arguments, this and that. And here I find out that this is perhaps me being childish, that I'm 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 close-minded here, I'm close-hearted. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. I, I I had three different takes on this, so I'll pitch them to you and to our audience on that phrase. As to children, I am speaking. And then it's, I mean, this is the, this is the only uh, imperative verb here, right? This is the moral of the story. So I think a lot can, a lot, I think in terms of the, the intended implication of, of the, his audience's response, which includes us, <laughs> I think a lot hangs on how we interpret verse 13. So here are my three takes as children. One is a sort of positive tender moment, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, the way that, uh, this would be the kind of Johannine style, and occasionally Paul talks this way, right? You are, I'm in, I'm in labor pains for you as, until Christ is formed in you. So he does speak to, usually addresses his audience as brothers, brothers and sisters, but occasionally also as children. And so I think the, this could be an endearing statement, like, hey, mm-hmm. you know, you're my own children, so it's it's your turn now. Be like me, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ, you know? So that's the first take is the kind of term of endearment. The second was the one that you suggested, which is a a kind of negative, a shaming. I shouldn't have to tell you to do this, (laughs) right? right? And you think you're so sophisticated, but you're just children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, and these aren't mutually exclusive. It could be a bit of both. Because of course, if you were to obey it, then you prove yourself to be my children, um, right, right. And the third little twist is, and, and it, it's really a two apples and an orange. It's a kind of different, it's not exactly speaking the exact same way. But when he says, you could take it as modifying the previous phrase in verse 13, where it says, let's see, what did our versions have? In return, as a, this is worth commenting on the Greek real quick here, because it's an interesting phrase. It's uh, anti-mystheon. So, mystheon comes from mystos, like payment, the, the wages. Wages of sin is death. Mystos, that's the same. Okay. Um, so, an anti would be like the, the one that comes back or after, hmm. right? So, as a repayment or recompense, and then it has this word outtain before it, the same. So, th- th- this is your recompense in turn. You pay back what I paid to you. And we could take that quite literally as him saying, you now owe me this, but the children language here could be kind of modifying that to say, okay, I'm speaking in this childish way as if like I did my part and now you do your part. He may be kind of saying like, this isn't how I want to think of it, but here's a way to think of it. Hmm. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Sorry. Maybe I made that too complicated, but I just, uh, I wondered if that's a, a possible way of kind of taking it as kind of like, I'm speaking in childish terms as if like, you know, okay, you know, we, we have to do this with our kids all the time, right? Okay, you get the swing for five minutes and now it's your turn <laughs> and you get it for five minutes, right? Or, and there's something childish about keeping score that way. Hmm. So hmm. Um, again, this hmm. could fit either. This could, well, this would sure. fit more. Yeah. This, this would be a, a twist on the second, more negative. Yeah, right? yeah. Why do you think Paul brings in, Isaiah at the front there at the top. Oh gosh. Okay. I've been sitting on this and I'm going to say it now. 
there are theories about there being more than one letter. Uh huh. Yeah. That have that have been mushed together in Second Corinthians. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've heard of these, right? Yes. Maybe yeah. some of our audience members have, maybe some haven't, but and this is what this is a common place to put that break because okay. this is just a complete non sequitur between verse two and three. Um, <laughs> whereas actually verses one and two work really well as a final statement of the last chapter. Okay. Okay. So, so some, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever one thinks about those theories, because of course it is a letter, letters can just change topic randomly. So I, I, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I don't think it's, I don't think it's an unchristian belief to, to posit multiple letters having been kind of combined. Um, but I also don't think that you have to posit that to make sense of it. Cause again, letters sure. can be, can be pretty random in their topic changing. But either way, if I was preaching on this text, I would probably start with verse three hmm. in contradiction to the lectionary. And I would leave verse one and two as the finale of chapter five, Okay, which is Paul's style to often end. He often begins or ends a, but just all the language there fits the language of the previous passage it in does. my read. Yeah. So I, yeah. I would... And for anyone in our anyone in our audience who does in fact use the lectionary, either you've been using it a long time and you're feeling straitjacketed, or you're new to it and you don't like the idea of being told what to what to preach. <laughs> Either way, please, it's a jumping off point. It's not a straitjacket, right? Don't be constrained by it. It's it's something to get you started. But I personally would recommend starting with verse three. I see um, that. Because I, I just that. don't think it fits, even if you don't believe it's a separate letter that's been inserted here. Um, which again, I don't feel strongly about one way or the other. Having said that, I, I want to take our audience off the hook for having to try to figure out how to link it. But of course, that would be a fun experiment <laughs> to try to see how it connects. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah. if you want to talk about that, we can. I don't, I don't want to. I, I kind of shot the shot your question down by bringing up these these larger questions, or not larger, they're actually small, petty <laughs> questions of, sure, of sure. criticism. But did well, you see a connection that I missed? Let me, let me, let me one, look tell at me. Isaiah. Okay. So it's Isaiah what 49. I'm going to look at verses eight and nine here. So in the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will help you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say that the captives come out into those in darkness, be free, come out, be free. Well, I mean, we've got the, Corinthians, our hearts are wide open, wide in your hearts. There, there's an there's an openness and a freeness there. I, I I don't know that I see much of a connection though. Yeah, whereas it fits perfectly with chapter five, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Christ who reconciled Himself through us and gave us this ministry of reconciliation, and we're ambassadors for Christ, making His appeal through us, which then connects with the working together with Him. Um, so this is the day. Behold. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I mean, that's a great final line to the the song of salvation that was spread out through chapter five. All right. Well, then if we look at verse three, then as if we're starting starting something new here, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. Okay. So has he been accused of putting an obstacle in <laughs> or does he see beatings and persecution as a removal of obstacles that somehow this pain creates a straight path 
Hmm. Putting no obstacle in anyone's way. What a, what a wild claim. Especially so no when, fault be me made. Especially when you consider, oh, oh what, what's the word I'm looking for? No obstacle. Shoot, I just had it. Stumbling block? Stumbling block. block. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, well, and that's a big, I mean, it's not the same term here, but I think it is the same concept. I got to admit, it, it, it's just dripping with irony, right? Just as he sort of says, you know, I'm going to commend myself with all these uncommendable things, at least uh, half of them. <laughs> and then the dripping with irony of saying, because these are, these are the obstacles to people taking his ministry seriously, you know, I think, right? If I'm uh, there in the audience. What are the obstacles? That the beatings are the obstacles? That the Yes. Uh, beatings, hardships, calamities, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. I mean, if this is what Paul is known for is his sufferings. I mean, this surely this would be part of what was seemingly uncommendable about Paul, you know, yeah, like, oh, yeah. he's constantly, you know, he's, he's a weakling, right? He's weak. Yeah. That was highlighted that he's weak, um, sickly, unimpressive public speaker. Always getting in trouble, maybe pushing the envelope too far, yes, making a menace yeah. of himself, public menace. So sure. I'll take away the obstacles and then I'll, and I'll offer some, I'll offer my resume, which is all the same old obstacles, right? And he leads with those, but that's not all he gives, right? He also gives holiness, love, purity, knowledge, patience, right? Truthful speech, power of God. So there is this appeal to his character, if not his authority and capacity. He's a stumbling block, man. I have such a weird relationship with Paul. I think he's so cool, but he's also so irritating, <laughs> Say, why do you think he's irritating? Uh, again, maybe it's a cultural disconnect for me, but his kind of asserting his authority, but not asserting it thing, you know, hmm. it's like, oh, I'm nobody. I have nothing to offer, but get in line and follow me. Right. It's kind of like, well, yeah. like, which is it, dude? You know, like, uh, and so there is, there might be some cultural disconnect for me that I just don't always follow. So yeah, he, he's he's got a sort of uh, yeah irritating. Maybe it's not the best word for it, but it's this kind of uh, woe is me way of of persuading us to follow him, you know. Mm-hmm. And I got to check myself because is that me closing off my heart, you know, to him and to what matters to him, you know? Do do I not have the same priorities that he does? Like he says in twelve, right? We haven't held back towards you. Now it's time for you to, but you've held back uh, in your compassions, in your affections towards us. Yeah. I get so uncomfortable in passages like this, where Paul is listing off all the places where he's been persecuted. I mean, bragging about them in a sense, because there is nothing that sounds like an easy burden or a light yoke with this. (laughs) And and I tend to get tripped up anyway with passages on suffering in the Bible. You know, it's hard to (laughs) know what to do with those. And, And I imagine that's, I think there is a blessing in that, that we can't turn it into some formula knowing when it's good or bad or edifying or, but um, Paul has a really hard life. And sometimes it seems like he's just putting a target on himself. Hmm. It's unnecessarily hard, but I don't want to live his life. (laughs) Yeah. And this is, I guess, uh, is interesting that you brought up putting ourselves in the shoes of the listeners because it's always striking to me that 
that we, and this isn't all our listeners to this podcast, uh, but I know a lot are themselves pastors and leaders of churches. And, and I know that you and I, Mandy, will often see ourselves in the story of a letter as Paul, right? We think of ourselves as the pastor, the leader, the preacher, sure, right? Yeah. And we tremble because we're like, whoa, uh, is there, am I avoiding the suffering that my calling actually entails? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I say irritating. You know, I want, do I want to just sort of say, ah, Paul, he's a little over the top and not, you know, I want to get myself off the hook of it as just a peculiarity of Paul, or I can get theological and think, oh, well, he had a particular mission that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily apply to us. But then when I think most people who heard this text when he wrote it and the audience that he had in mind as he wrote it, and for us as preachers and teachers and pastors, most of the people, when they hear the texts that we read, I don't know if they see themselves as Paul in the story, you know, huh. like, and maybe you, it would be helpful for us, even as preachers to step out of that immediate assumption, to go back to where you started at this second segment, how, how it makes you feel, how you want to respond to Paul. Right. right. You want to give right. him money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, <laughs> and, and that's the question is not here's his life and ours has to look like that, but let's look at what he is actually asking from us. Cause of course the whole argument here is not hmm. therefore go and do likewise. No yeah. the punchline yeah. is not that he's like, yeah. and the phrasing in verse 11, it's in the original, it's, I have, is it we or I? It's we. We have opened our mouth to you. It's translated. It's a idiom for we have spoken freely, right? Huh, spoken plainly. Uh-huh. But because the next line is we have opened wide our heart, it's actually kind of nice to hear it, right? We've opened our mouth and Corinthians and we've opened our heart. And now what are you? what's being asked of you? Well, your compassions, they are closed up that you've constrained your, it's so hard to say, splog, splog, canoeus. It's that same word for guts mm-hmm. in the gospels for when Jesus compassions, he's moved in his bowels, right? Um, okay, wait, wait, say that again. So wh- verse 12, okay. verse 12, when it says, uh, we are not restrained, you know, you are not restrained because of us, but you are restrained in your affections okay. or okay. your compassions or your inner parts. There's different ways of translating it. I don't know what what versions, what different versions we had, but I think compassions is a good word or affections. And so now it's your turn. Open up your compassions. Don't be closed off. Open up in return. And there's a whole bunch of ways to live that out, which includes donating to help the poor back in Jerusalem, but a whole bunch of other things too. Opening our hearts to him and his ministry, opening our hearts Mm. to the poor that are around us. So this is Paul's argument for why we should open up our hearts. Yep. 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 And notice we're starting to close our hearts off as we hear him glory in his sufferings. And we start saying, I don't want all those sufferings. (laughs) Right. And it's intended Uh to loosen us up, but it might, we start putting up walls. Yeah. And and he's calling that out. Open up, you know, put down the drawbridge, let it in, hmm. let the pain in. And because compassion, that compassion wells up from within when we encounter the pain of others. Yeah. 
Well, let's take a break and come back and explore some sermon starters, eh? All right. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Amanda Drury, and we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 13, maybe just 3 through 13. I don't know. Make it a little easier on us. Do we want to hear the text one more time? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Do we? I, do you have your uh, New Living Translation handy? Uh, or could yes, you bring I it do. up easily? I sure can. I'd love to hear you here. read the, the NLT. Okay. I'm going to start with verse 3. We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, put to prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well-known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. I am asking you to respond as if you were my own children. Open your hearts to us. Word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yeah, then obviously NLT always makes choices. And I like yeah, that because they yeah. make decisions. So it's it's not a great place to start for study because They've already made the choices for you. You could tell they a couple of our questions. They right. took a, they took a stand and went that way. Yeah, um, yeah, including the children bit at the end. But yeah, so so let's explore some sermon stars. Where might you want to go with this? There's so many different directions, um, and you can't be expected to to develop every little detail in the text. So what direction would you want to go? Yeah. Okay. So I don't have any lightning bolt moments with this passage. I haven't yet in terms of I don't have clarity on where a sermon would go. But but as I'm trying to conjure something up here, my mind is first going to this question of what parts of my faith do I find embarrassing? You know, are there elements of Paul's life of his resume that he's giving us that I would rather hide or not publicize? Because he's 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 airing his his dirty laundry while at the same time not patting himself on the black on the back, but making it very clear that that what is shameful to us is part of his uh, positive re- reputation. So I'd probably start off by camping out there a little bit, just seeing if there's something there in terms of embarrassment and not quite what we might expect, what we might like to highlight in our faith. Yeah, we can explore that some more. I'll pitch an idea of my own, and then we'll we can go either or both down the road with right. Okay. Um, this is using the text as a jumping off point. 
Uh, so it might, you can push me on the extent of its faithfulness, but I want to ask, what are the obstacles to compassion? Ooh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, I know that's not the way he's using the word obstacles, but uh-huh. the, the imagery of obstacles at the beginning clicks really well with the language of restriction at the end in verse 12 or constraint mm-hmm. held back stenocoreo. What are the things that constrain our compassion? That What are the obstacles to compassion? Why do we keep our hearts closed off? And again, in a sermon context, I could start with that question, maybe open with the story of when my own compassions were, were closed off, then link a little bit with what Paul is calling out in them, right? Mm-hmm. This, this lack of affection, lack of compassion for him, but also in turn for the ministry of reconciliation that, that he wants them to care about most, because clearly they're interested in themselves and their own reputation locally rather than the church and its mission globally. And then just asking, and then just exploring that, exploring that myself, exploring it in my local church. And I can imagine having a few points that wouldn't be expositional. It wouldn't be, here's the three things in this passage that are obstacles, right? But just use this text as a jumping off point. Sure. But, but to continue to come back to it, you know, it's, it's, and, and I mean, what is it? It's, it's, well, I mean, we, we can camp out there if we want, or we can go somewhere else, but that that's, I think the sermon, if I was called on to preach this text, that's the starting point I would take hmm. and, and see where it, see where it leads me. Why do we keep our hearts closed off? What are the obstacles to our hearts? Looking at Paul here, he says, you are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. Uh, so some kind of indication that there's something deeply personal, perhaps individualized as to where and how we might be cut off from compassion. Recognizing what cuts me off might be different than what cuts cuts someone else off. Exactly. That's why, you know, in a sermon, you might be able to identify a few of the obstacles to compassion, primarily use those as a sort of to prime the pump and to get the, to get the thought and experience up and running to kind of say, here's some of the obstacles, but you may have some of your own that are unique to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. To give some space to explore that. But um, I think that the question then to ask them too is, is how, you know, Paul's last line is widen your hearts also. Okay. How, how do you, how do you widen your heart? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. I've really only got the, the first half of a sermon there. So the obstacles to compassion, the fear, mm-hmm. shame, like fear of, of experiencing the same sufferings that others are, shame and embarrassment, yeah, uh, yeah. reputation threat that I'll be associated with those who have greater yeah. need than I. Mm-hmm. Those are two that, that come immediately to mind. And I think a third would just be just sheer busyness, right? I'm just so caught up in the tasks and priorities and relationships of the day that I don't slow down enough to notice uh, the pain that's in me or that's in those around me. Yeah. So shame, fear, and bustle. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that's just the first half. So then the the second half is going to be how, what opens up the heart. And then boom, there we've got the text again, because Paul's heart is open. What is it that opens up his heart? Right. So, so what opens up Paul's heart? Suffering, we see. Yes. Fruits of the spirit. 
Yes. Uh, opens up your heart. And then these paradoxes, because there's really three sets of things, right? There's the, I mean, this is just a geek moment, but it's, it's even more repetitive in the original than any of our translations have. The mm. word in, it's N in Greek, E-N, appears eight times in verses four through seven. Wow. Eight times. So huh. the N is over and over and over again. It's in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleep, right? Hmm. And our translations have, have uh, rescued us from that uh, repetition, right? <laughs> but then he switches to through halfway through seven. Sure. Okay. Um, yep. And yep. there's three throughs. And then he switches in the, in the back half of verse eight. And you get seven of these as, as if an imposter but truthful, as if unknown and yet widely known, as if, right? Um, and those are repeated again. Hmm. But uh, I just mentioned that to say I, I, that may not be that helpful. I, I just noticed that, that that's a sort of, huh. there are kind of three beats there of, of different kinds of things. And so that last set, that the as, the as ifs that start in verse eight, that, that second half of verse eight through 10 have their own kind of character. I, I mean, you could say the sufferings, there's suffering, there's character, these fruit of the spirit um, that open up the heart. And then this last is something about, I don't know if it's contentment or paying attention mm -hmm. to the paradoxes of life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in fact, side note, that that might be another sermon I would preach out of this, that What's last that? part on, on, the, on the paradoxes here, uh, particularly yeah. that, that last part, the having nothing yet possessing everything. Uh, Mike Mather has a great book by by that title, Having Nothing But Possessing Everything, where he talks a lot about community-based asset development and and theology of abundance, that that there is there is enough. So that, that, that could be a whole nother way to go with a sermon there. But speaking of this, not just no, as I a paradox, that, yeah. but that but that there's something literally true about this too. This isn't just a flowery way of saying this. No, you can literally have nothing in everything. Mm-hmm. I mean this is gospel living here, these mm. last seven things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be seen as an imposter, but speaking the truth, to be a nobody and yet to be recognized, mm. which may be referring to God knowing him, it's possible, as dying and yet behold, living. I mean, that's like death and resurrection. It's right there. What's the next one? Nine. Uh, mm. Yeah, as punished, but not killed. As, as filled with sorrow, yet actually rejoicing. I mean, the Christian life is just lived on that razor's edge between it these, is, it is. these little paradoxes at the end. I don't have a single word for those yet, but th that's distinct because it's our own suffering that softens our heart if we allow mm -hmm. it. But then you have to go further down and say, okay, well, there's a character question. Do I have gentleness? Yeah. Do yeah. I have the kindness? Do I have the love? Um, genuine love. And then the further down is the, okay, but am I attuned? Am I paying attention? It's not just suffering. It's the triumph that's in the suffering, the abundance that's in the poverty. Am I tuned yeah. into that? And okay. again, I don't okay. have a, I don't have a, I don't have a single word for that third thing, but, but I'm pointing it out at least where it is in the text. Sure. Um, so I think some of the how, I think Paul has in fact begun to hint at that. Yeah. Look at my yeah. life. This is how you can learn how to yep. be open. Okay. Uh, you know, don't fight the suffering. Let it affect you. Let it hurt you. Yeah. Pay attention to it. See what it teaches you. 
seek to grow in character of kindness and purity and love. Okay. Okay. If I had to preach this tonight, sorry, I just cut you off there. Please. No, please. Okay. If I had to preach this tonight, I think uh, this is what I would do. And it's going to feel like cheating. I think for a lot of people, because it involves not talking, but I think I would look at those final paradoxes and even take five, seven, 10 minutes of just guided silence with the congregation of, of asking, where do you experience sorrow? And asking, where is there still rejoicing in that? And, and inviting people to yep. see themselves in those paradoxes, but not what, well, you know, it's so easy to ask a question and to move on, but to actually give sit people time to sit with it. Uh, you know, where, where do you feel, where are you poor? <laughs> where do you have riches? Where do you have nothing? And, and inviting people to see themselves in that paradox. Yeah, and even pay attention to those, right? Where are you poor? And yet, how are you enriching others? Nevertheless, yeah, yeah. You know? yeah and, then, and then to even be coaching people too in those places where you find resistance, where you want to explain or pull away from that, this is exactly the place where you need to widen your heart. Widen the heart. These are invitations to widen the heart where you feel that resistance. Oh, I like widen. That's good. Yeah, that's the ESV I have here. Oh, at the end, that's good. I like that. Widen. It's just a good verb. Hmm. Widen. Widen your hearts. Well, I mean, yeah, it sounds like cheating, but two things. One, you know me, I'm a big fan of ask a question and sit with it for a silent minute. I mean, uh, heck yeah, I'd love that. Uh, So do it, try it. And then second of all, to me, like faithfulness to the text is not, does not consist in exposition of the lines of the text, right? Sure. You can in yeah. fact go line by line and miss the point, or yeah. you can be right on point and not go line by line. So I say that to say that clearly the thrust of the text from 13 to uh, thir- from three to 13 is it's, he is the, the purpose of the passage is to open up the hearts of its readers. Yeah. Right. So what yeah. in a, in some sense, any sermon <laughs> that in fact widens the hearts of right. its hearers, right. it's in fact faithful to the purpose of the text, even if it doesn't get into all the weeds. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm a weedy preacher, so I'm going to use the language of the text to as best I can because that's my style, but I don't think that's a, a necessity. Although you mentioned, I don't know, seven, eight minutes. Well, like I said, those paradoxes from eight to 10, there's seven of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you could really spend a minute each on each of those. And then and, that doesn't it, make it feel like just an unending silence, but like right. really going through each one and dedicating a full minute to each one, which could have the silence broken every 30 seconds. Cause you have the first half and the second half of each. Yeah. So it wouldn't be overwhelming. And like, boy, if you started with that and then worked backwards from there, okay, what do I need to say to kind of set up that seven minute experience? Yes. Use screens or whatever to develop that. But yeah. And, and I, especially if you're in a context where people are not used to that kind of silence, I think it's important to give a kind of unapologetic explanation for what's going to come. So to even say, we're going to take seven minutes. Don't worry about the time. You know, I've got my eye on that. But uh, to let people know there is an end in sight, that it's not an accidental silence. But also, you know, it bothers me too, though, when pastors spend so much time, now it's going to feel awkward and you might blah, blah, blah. So don't be apologetic about what's going to come, but be clear. Uh, just to remove any anxiety, particularly for people who aren't used to sitting in silence. 
No, that's a good, that's a good word. Good tip. Unapologetic, but clear. Explanation. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. Because I sometimes will do that apologetic thing where I'm kind of like, it's going to be weird and you're going to get distracted. You know, but like, you're clear. You're very clear. <laughs> I suppose, no, actually, I, I, I don't think you, I don't think you, you do that. I used to do that. I think I used yeah, to do that. Yeah. No, you're, I you're was apologizing clear. for it. No, I think that would be good. No, I don't know. I really love it. I've fallen in love with this text by the end. Some of it's, it's just as it's a big old list of things. And in my, like, I, I've got a single column, which I usually prefer my single column ESV here open. And it's just like, it's pretty tiny print and it's just like a barrage of words. Right. <laughs> and for those who are listening in, if you're going to want to spend some more time with this text, I mean, it would be really powerful to cut and paste the text into a word document and press enter at each phrase and get it yeah, stretched yes. out like poetry yeah. uh, and really take your time with it. Cause I mean, I, I, I did that a little bit when I said there were 18 ins and three throughs and seven as but but like that really gets you a sense of like there's a lot of material here just jammed yeah, into yeah. a few phrases yeah. that and it's worth taking your time with it um and you may discover something else different than what we offered to y'all yeah and john one of the things i've really valued about this last hour too is for most of this i have i was not excited about preaching this text for most of our conversation it's it's felt a bit like a struggle of okay what angle uh, not a lot of inspiration and, and just this morning i was preparing to speak at a, at a youth camp this summer. And so as I was reading through this thinking, I, I don't think I would preach this. I don't know how I'd preach this to teenagers. And then we get to the end of this and it took us what, 60 minutes to get here. But now I'm, now I'm in a spot where I'm like, Oh yes, I would love to teach this. My, and my, my brain is going and I'm planning this and that, but I think there's so much value in sitting with scripture for even an hour <laughs> like this without any hope of fruitful. Now, let, let me, let me put that differently. It's worth sitting with scripture, even when the fruit is not easily accessible. Yeah. Yeah. You had hope, but maybe didn't have a plan of where the fruit, yeah, fruit yeah. was going to come. Yeah. And my tendency is to quickly pass by the stuff that doesn't hit me instantly. And I'm just reminded of, of the value of wrestling with things like this. Good. Well, that's a good word to end with, eh? Sure. I dig it. All right. Thanks so much, Amanda, for giving an hour of your time. And thanks as always uh, to our listeners. We appreciate you opening up your hearts uh, to receive uh, whatever it is the Lord is offering today. A big thanks as always to Todd and Eric for their production work. Can't imagine doing this without them. Thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. Thanks especially to our patron saints who support the show. That uh, really helps with behind the scenes stuff. I got a day job. I don't see a cent of that. That's to help out uh, the production team behind the scenes. So uh, if you want to consider becoming a patron saint, go to patreon.com slash fresh text, patreon.com slash fresh text, and uh, see some of the ways that you can support the show. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye.